This episode is brought to you by Thorn, and I have some incredible news for any of you that are in the military, first responder, or medical professions. In an effort to give back, Thorn is now offering you an ongoing 35% off each and every one of your purchases of their incredible nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is the official supplement of CrossFit, the UFC, the Mayo Clinic, the Human Performance Project, and multiple special operations organizations. I myself have used them for several years, and that is why I brought them on as a sponsor. Some of my favorite products they have are their Multivitamin Elite, their Whey Protein, the Super EPA, and then most recently, Cinequil. As a firefighter, a stuntman, and a martial artist, I've had my share of brain trauma and sleep deprivation, and Cinequil is their latest brain health supplement. Now, to qualify for the 35% off, Go to thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Click on sign in and then create a new account. You will see the opportunity to register as a first responder or member of military. When you click on that, it will take you through verification with GovX. You'll simply choose a profession, provide one piece of documentation, and then you are verified for life. From that point onwards, you will continue to receive 35% off through Thorn. Now, for those of you who don't qualify, there is still the 10% off using the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, for a one-time purchase. Now, to learn more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of the Behind the Shield podcast with Joel Totoro and Wes Barnett. This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, 
Francisco Morales. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Desiree Despong. Now, Desiree actually began her career in New Zealand working with the fire service before finding herself on a path into holistic medicine. So we discuss a host of topics from her experience in the New Zealand fire service, the physiological root causes for so many diseases, cancer, the lymphatic system, her incredible product Flopresso, and so much more. Now, before we get to this amazing conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback. I truly do love reading your feedback and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for other people to find. And this is a free library of well over 700 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Desiree Despong. Enjoy. Well, Desiree, I want to start by thanking you so much for coming on the Behind the Shield podcast. We have a very unusual time difference. It is your, what is it, Saturday morning? No, no, Friday, Friday morning and my Friday. Thursday afternoon here. So uh, I'm always super, super worried that I'm going to screw it up because uh, it's better now I sleep these days. But when I was on shift, I used to mess that up all the time. So <laughs> welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Kia ora, which is hello from New Zealand. Um, I feel you know very lucky to be able to be on this and been able to have an opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. And I want to say thank you to Joel Evan who connected us. So how did you meet Joel? Joel and I met at a conference uh, in Boston. Uh, no, Boston, sorry, not I've been so many places, Idaho. We were at the CellCore conference and he came over and we were obviously demonstrating our product Flopreso and he came over and we got to connect then yeah so it was really great because he's such a vibrant uplifting person to be around and then I had the opportunity to be on his podcast which then linked us to meeting you so yeah he's uh, been very much a connector absolutely and he has a, an interesting COVID related story with him transitioning out of law enforcement or being kicked out more to the point so um, I would love to get the New Zealand perspective of that when we get to it but starting at the very beginning tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic what your parents did and how many siblings so I came from a place a place in Dunedin which is in the South Island of New Zealand so it's more towards the bottom of the earth literally and uh, I was raised with three siblings one younger two older my father was self-employed. He installed uh, what we call central heating, so your fireplaces, and yep. And uh, he was doing sparkles at the time. And my mother was one of those amazing at-home mums till she supported my father in the business. So we grew up, you know, very basic in Dunedin. It was, you know, you walked to school, and it was an hour. You had your suit, you know, your bags made out of the most hideous vinyl, and you were always embarrassed to take them to school. And you know, we we worked hard. We were raised to. Help our father. I remember the sweet age of about seven or eight being in white overalls and pulling out dirty old fireplaces and helping, you know. So we, we were, you know, raised hard, but 
raised well. You know, we, we've got an amazing family dynamic. Uh, I'm very fortunate, actually. My brother is the chairman for our board and my sister has just come on as chief uh, operationals officer so very excited because they're both incredibly uh you know powerful but you know uh they both have an um a background that is phenomenal so i'm very grateful and my sister actually had the misfortune of going through stage four cancer uh four years ago and uh she is the epitome of what you do for mind body soul so she is here today, four years later after that diagnosis, which was a bowel cancer that metastasized to liver. So, you know, she's a real reflection of what one can do when we're put into a situation of dis-ease. And so, yeah, very grateful to have them on board. That's how close our family is. My other brother is based in the United States. He's in Arizona. So I have the opportunity to see him when I'm over there, which is great. And he's all in IT. So he's done a software development and involved big time over there so yeah he's been there for probably about must be close to 20 years now beautiful i want to jump ahead a little bit to your sister's diagnosis the reason i ask this my wife's best friend we just lost her she had the exact same diagnosis that you said she had colon cancer metastasized to the liver she was given um chemotherapy and then they did the surgery to remove the remaining cancer um, she came out of the surgery and then two days later there was uncontroll uncontrollable bleeding and she passed away, which broke, you know, I mean, I just saw her own family broken. I saw my wife and her best friends torn apart. My philosophy, and it's easy for me to say that sitting here as of, as of now, touch wood, not knowing that I have any cancer, I have always struggled with the modern medicine approach to fighting cancer to scorch earth the entire human body and then hope that it's control alt delete and all the good stuff will come back if you wouldn't mind walk me through what she did you know just as as a now a virtual obviously my my friend andrea she's she's already gone um you know what was another alternative with the same diagnosis so i've had 20 years in health and especially in the lymphatic world so my 95 percent of my clientele would have been cancer and i'm going to bring it back to basics and we see it a lot of law enforcement too these all of a sudden they're diagnosed with cancer it's because of a dysregulated autonomic nervous system so you're living in a form of fight flight so what that means to me is when we do heart rate variability for for example and you know we recently did all these police which you call law enforcement uh, and, you know, they're more stressed lying down than they're standing up, but it's become a new normal for them. So they're unable to actually recognize. And if we understand cancer, cancer is self-made. It's a, it's your own cells replicating at a rate so it can no longer do what we call apoptosis, which is shut down cell growth. So when this happens, what you know, your body is kind of doing that and it's, you know, they often predict it's been going on for seven years before it actually comes into a form of cancer. When my sister got the diagnosis, I'm still very, very, very grateful that I had the knowledge I did because I was able to step in really quickly and put in some things in place. And she was actually still down in Dunedin. And I'm up in Tauranga, which is up in the North Island. So, you know, you can't drive. It's a flight, you know. So what we did is... I sat her down and said, there's some things you need to consider. One is what you're doing every day right now. 
hasn't served you, so it has to change. In other words, she was a very high corporate position, very, very busy woman, and just never had time out. So she was not able to re-regulate is what I call. The second was the environment she was in. Who are the people around her? Because at the end of the day, if you make a decision to opt out from chemo, which is a prime example, you need to know that the team that's wrapped around you is 100% behind you. But also that team is protecting you from the, what I call the negative Nancy's, you know, the one that goes in and goes, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Oh, you poor thing. You've got this diagnosis. You're going to die. And how long? You know, that kind of thing. And then the third thing was, what does align with you? I think one of the, I mean, the medical world serves its purpose. And sometimes, especially when you've got advanced cancer, you know, chemo can give us time give us time to do everything else really quickly. I don't think it's a great concept at all, but if it's pre-adjunctive, so pre-surgery, sometimes it's just about we can get the growth down and then we can come in with all the services that we need to do to support. So we've got a little bit longer than what the possible diagnosis could end up being. So what we did is I sat her down and said, what feels right for you? Because I can facilitate James, I can give you all the advice under the world, but if you don't believe in it, it ain't going to work. That's one thing I'm going to tell everyone. Honestly, it doesn't work. Now, so she sat down, she sat with her once she got over that initial fear, and I always said knowledge is power. You want to know about this disease. You want to understand what the, not the statistics. I'm not big on statistics. I'm like, you are your own individual statistics. Because if we look at all the statistics that we're given, it's based on people being told what everyone else has done, but it doesn't segregate who changed their diet, who did meditation, who did supplements. And see, this is where it can be very misleading. And so for me, when I ever work with patients, they, they give me the full rundown at the beginning and then we never talk about it again. As far as I'm concerned, it's a statistic and it's not theirs. So once she was able to define what she wanted to do, she wanted to go around the route. She wanted to do everything. She wanted to do chemo. She wanted to do radiation. She wanted to, on a, you know, we didn't need to do radiation. Sorry. She wanted to do surgery. She wanted to do, she wanted to get out of her job. She wanted to change her diet. She wanted to get into meditation. She wanted to do yoga. She wanted to do everything journaling because everything's got an emotion to it you know she was prepared to do it all so I struggled with the chemo side of things but it was her decision and I was prepared to back it all the way so my job was to step in and know what she needed to offset side effects because there's always side effects one little pearl I'm going to give everyone is that when you're given a chemo protocol and hopefully I don't get in trouble for this but once you get a chemo protocol if you're really struggling on those last two or three rounds, in other words, the side effects are starting to outweigh the benefits. In other words, we're sort of getting that plateau of how much cancer is, you know, being reduced in size. And therefore, we're now going to getting a lot sicker. We're sort of having more side effects. It's starting to have a body adverse effect, which is really hard to bring someone back from. That's when you can go in and ask your oncologist, how much percentage are these remaining therapies going to help me with beating this cancer? It often ends up being only about 3%. So the thing was, she got to that point. 
where I was getting the phone calls, you know, she was in a really bad way. I was like flying down doing treatment. I was, you know, helping her. And then I said, I think this is the time for the conversation. So she stopped her last two because she was starting to get neuropathy, all these things. And I'm going, if we go much further, I can't bring you back from those side effects. Like neuropathy is one thing that you can be, you can have it for life. My dad, even he's a bit of a developer too, created her a little motorized uh, wheelchair so she could drive around so she could keep off her feet because it was just so painful. And so she made that decision to call it quits. Then she radically changed everything. She took away her, she walked away from her job, put that to the side. She started doing things like changing her diet. Now, I think we put too much emphasis on diet. It is a really important part of it. But when you think in New Zealand, we call it the tatapafa, uh, which is the four pillars of health, mind, body, spirit, and whānau. Whānau is the family we associate ourselves with. doesn't always mean your biological family. So four pillars of health is what the key to healing. So food is just a quarter of that, right? The body aspect. So we've got to thinking that way. I've got a journaling, which is not easy to do. You know, people go, you want me to do what? You want me to write about my feelings? Come on. And I'm like going, no, 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 wait till you're in those really, really bad places where you're angry or you're upset and just start writing. And don't think about it. Just write and write and write. And then I'm really big about burning it because it's like, okay, it's time to let go of all that. That doesn't serve you. And then what she did, as I suggested for her, which is, I don't know if men would do it, but it was a real female thing was, we was, you know, with a maternal instinct, you want to create something new. So she'd keep the ashes and the ashes would go into a new plant. So the plant would create a new life for her. So it was always this new creation she was working on. So the journaling became big. The diet became big. I had her on certain product. Uh, there's a product here in New Zealand called Salvestrals, which is uh, helps with the CYP1B1 enzyme, which is a to help reduce cancer. So you can get it in the ripening agent from fruit and vegetables. Uh, also a product that was anti-inflammatory to the gut and the brain. Of course, we had all the minerals. Uh, to me, minerals is a really, really big thing electrolytes and we also ironically saw this in the police how dehydrated they were you know if you can't drink a lot of water on the job at least have electrolytes so you're getting that cellular fluid change and support especially when you're talking about sodium and potassium and the firing of the cells a lot of it came down to why am I here why this why now because Cancer is a journey and it becomes a journey from a place. Now, your friend was, that was terrible and an awful situation where the, the situation behind her help, if we want to say that, or the medical intervention was probably a lot to do why she ended up where she was. But we're seeing here in New Zealand, and I know it's in the United States, an awful lot of people getting cancer at the moment. And it's environmental as well. So, in other words, you know, it, what's the Wi-Fi we're exposing us to? What's the, you know, environmental foods or, uh, you know, uh, toxins or molds or, you know, there's so much to cancer. But for me, understanding that four pillars and how that plays in a role for health is what my sister's done. I will say we did, because of my understanding around dysregulation with the autonomic nervous system, it was so important for her to understand regulation and what parasympathetic was. And see, 
to me, meditation is, you know, kind of given a bit of a bad rap of some guru sitting in a lotus position and, you know, you've got to be perfect at it. But it's just mindfulness. It's coming back to being here right now, like I am with you, present and available to, you know, to see what's going on around me. That is the key to down-regulating. Breath is the other. So we were teaching a breathing uh, uh, and also just understanding that, finding that place. Now, have I got her with a flow preso, which we'll talk more about later, but yes, because I need to know she'll regulate her her uh, autonomic nervous system on, a, on all the time because I can't afford those cells to replay, and that's the problem. Once you've got cancer cells understanding what they can do, because we've all got them right now. Every person on this podcast right now has cancer cells. But once they understand how to generate, the little critters keep doing that for a while until you can change the environment that they're sitting in. So that's the issues is in the tissues. You know, all those cells need to re-replicate into the healthy models again so that they haven't got the ability to regulate. So there was a gentleman, I actually reached out to him a while ago, and then I don't think he was really doing interviews at the time, but I think he's since released a book, so I need to circle around. But he's one of the first people I heard talking about apoptosis. And the theory, if I'm not mistaken, is if there was homeostasis, and we were kind of led to believe that's um, you know not acidic, and the more acidic that we get, when there's acidity in the body, that the the sequence that shuts off the cells, and they use the example of cutting cutting your skin, well, they're naturally supposed to to heal. It's supposed to create a scab, but then it stops. But when there is, um, you know, a, not homeostasis in the body, though that that system that shuts off the regeneration of these cells keeps going and going and going and going. So talk to me. Well, let me rephrase that. Again, going to my very very kind of white belt medical understanding. If we didn't have cancer when we were in homeostasis and then we are first responders and we're not sleeping and we're stressed and we're eating shitty food and we're sat down for, you know, hours on end. To me, one of the first questions needs to be, how can I get back to as close to homeostasis while I'm, as you said, considering these different treatment options? If I'm not addressing the change in the environment within my body simultaneously, I may be missing the very thing that is creating the environment for this cancer to grow. Correct. So from a self-care perspective, like, as I said, one of the things we saw, we've seen over these studies is how dehydrated first responders are. And dehydration has an impact on those fluids and on the alkalinity. So the ability and the ability to absorb. So apoptosis is also associated to the thyroid, which is a really important organ from a lymphatic point of view. It creates your T cells, which is like the, the generals telling everyone what to do and how to fight. So that is, again, minerals-based. So there's uh, things like your iodine, for example, and then selenium helps the iodine. So all these things play an important part. That's why minerals are so important. So just bringing in electrolytes into your life a day, every day, but not those really high sugar ones. I'm talking about the, you know, the mineral side ones with either the less sugar or you can get mineral drops in the United States as well. Then there is the ability to breathe deeply. Breathing is one of the easiest, cheapest, well, it's not actually easy for some. It is one of the cheapest ways to regulate parasympathetic because it brings you back in the now. It allows your body to feel safe. 
But more importantly, if you do heart rate variability on someone and they get their breathing right, they can literally switch from sympathetic to parasympathetic, but it's controlled breathing. So that can be, for example, counting in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four, and then hold for four. And you're thinking about it. So guess what? You're doing mindfulness now because all of a sudden you're not actually having to, you can't do anything else because you're too busy trying to concentrate on the breath. And there is a thing called a progressive muscle relaxation, which is when you go in and focus on a part of the body and you breathe in, breathe out, and then you work your way up. These are some of the things you can activate now to get that correct regulation within the body but minerals honestly if we can get people on electrolytes right now i would say on average you know you'll be looking at 80 to 90 percent of the world right now is dehydrated i mean we drink water but there's not enough it's been filtered and everything else there's not enough mineral consistency in there to help the cellular side of things well i want to get back onto your timeline but when you were talking my dad is a retired veterinary surgeon, and one thing that he was talking about with inflammatory stuff was from New Zealand, I believe, green lip muscle extract. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you've got any experience on? Because I don't think I've ever discussed it on this show. I'm not well-versed in it, even though he's kind of described it to me. So with you being in holistic medicine in New Zealand, please, please educate me on, on what you found personally. Usually green lip muscles have been used for things like arthritis, which is inflammatory, so joint pain. That's usually what we've used it for. And, of course, it tastes so good too. You know, like it's uh, – and, and, you know, New Zealand, though we're not quite as clean and green as we used to be, you know, we you know we are lucky where a lot of our muscles that are, uh, you know, not manufactured but was it harvested are actually in a clean environment, which I think helps. But in most uh, cases it's used for here – is predominantly for arthritis, joint pain, that kind of thing, as opposed to I'm inflamed and I should have green lip muscle. We haven't quite got that relationship here. It may be better overseas, like your father probably knows more about it, to be honest with the sound of it, which is not unusual here in New Zealand. <laughs> well, he had actually suggested it because my dog appeared to have arthritis in her, her hips, she's a German Shepherd, and sadly she's passed since, but um, there was for that so are you seeing success for that specific disease process it does definitely help uh, we're starting to see more things come about it's interesting arthritis to me also unless there's a deterioration in the bone arthritis is lack of fascia movement so the movement of the fascia so that's like the pith of the orange that you know the white stuff that holds us together is fascia and lymphatics and we often find when you can get those two moving, you start to change the arthritis because arthritis is the holding, the crystallization and the inflammatory. And I think we're too immobile now than we've ever been as a society. We're all sitting at desks, you know, or we're in front of TVs. You know, this wasn't the case 20, 30 years ago. And so, you know, for me, that is one of the biggest things. I'm not really sure what the the, like there's quite a few different arthritis uh, products around that, you know, like even uh, your glucosamine, those kind of things as well. It's really good, obviously magnesium, just for the muscle side of things. But those are the main ones that we tend to encourage down here. Brilliant. Well, going back to your timeline, before we kind of progress into your career itself, I've talked about this a lot. One of the reasons why I advocate not just for ownership of the individual, but to really focus on the environment is I was blessed to have 
grown up on an English farm. So we grew vegetables. I was around, you know, we, we, we had sheep and you know, ultimately we would be eating some of the lambs or the pigs or whatever it was. So I got to see the food, you know, I got to see the cost of a life to feed a family when it comes to, you know, compassion towards the animals, if you could say that, even though you butchered them. Um, so I got an understanding of food. I got an understanding of movement. I mean, I live on a farm. So I was, you know, stone picking and mucking out stables and baling hay and all these things. So. I see some people in the wellness community kind of looking down their nose and saying, well, if you just wake up at five o'clock and jump in an ice bath and then meditate and then do yoga and then go for a 10 mile run, then you too can look like me. And I, I call bullshit on that. <laughs> I think that's that's very um, narcissistic because a lot of people weren't, you know, educated, don't have the environment. They weren't born into that kind of thought process and philosophy. But you found yourself in the holistic medicine world when you look back at your upbringing, were there a lot of holistic elements to that kind of um, rural Dunedin upbringing that you had? Absolutely. Though I was the black sheep of the family, I think everyone was, you know, unsure about me. I seemed to know stuff. I didn't know how I knew it. Let's put it that way. But I definitely was. We were raised to grow food. I mean, my greatest memories was my granddad. He uh, was lived up, he was up in Nelson, which is the top of the South Island, and he had the most amazing garden. So, you know, you'd be sitting and picking the peas, you know, and eating the, out of the pods. And then you'd go out and get fruit. And Christmas was always raspberries and, of course, ice cream. And, uh, you know, so it was amazing. We had the best life in the sense of homegrown food. We didn't, you know, we went on a farm to have animals, but uh, we were certainly associated with those because, and we were had, I remember first learning to eat mushrooms because they were growing in the correct manner in the in the sheds and mum and dad had done a barter, I think you call it, uh, for, you know, a job for some mushrooms. And so, you know, we understood all of how it came about. And, and today, even now, I have a massive vegetable garden. I'm very proud of the fact that I can go out every day and grab food for the dinner and my juicing and those not that I do a lot of juicing but every now and then like beetroot and all the rest I, I grow a lot of vegetables and we just had a massive lot of people around for Christmas so I had all new potatoes and all that stuff and so for me there is nothing and and if we come back to this meditation and this breathing I can honestly say getting into the soil and producing something that then you can eat and be nourished from I feel is one of the most beautiful things you can do in life. And I know it's like we're lucky in Tauranga, it's quite easy to grow anything. Uh, but, you know, but in a, I've been in other places where I've still kept that up because, you know, for me, it's even if it's just herbs or you call them herbs, uh, you know, or some lettuces or something, just that feeling of being able to go out and grab the full essence of those plants. Because when you once you pick them, it does lose that. And then it becomes a an experience that you, A, were part of bringing into the soil. And soil is one of the most grounding like mechanisms that you can do. If you're having a really stressful day, go out and get in a shovel or get in the dirt because it will, once you connect with the earth energy, because there's a frequency to it, it's negative ions, which we want lots of as opposed to positive, you're getting in there and creating that environment, but then you get something for it, growth, and then you get to feed your family. 
Absolutely. Well, firstly, I'm English, so I call it herbs because there's an H. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but secondly, it's interesting. Again, my dad is this like mad genius, terrible business sense, awful business sense, but an incredible thinker and innovator. But he was, he's been big on the gut biome, which is something I want to explore with you in a little bit. But he said that in all the kind of research and stuff that he's been reading and, and kind of immersing himself in, it seems like you see a lot of these commonalities with gut health but if you look at the the vegetables and fruits you know we're all eating stuff from around the world now that wouldn't have been what we would have had natively but he said herbs are a commonality and he's he's now kind of hypothesizing well is it really the herbs that are ultimately feeding our gut bacteria which goes back to what you just said you know yes ideally you have a, an entire garden but if you can even have a little you know a few pots on your porch and you've just got some fresh basil and some other things basil not basil um then uh, oregano, then you can actually <laughs> pick them, pick them and put them directly into your food. And then again, that may well be some of that extra plant medicine that most of us are oblivious to. I agree. I think going back to basics, we have uh, what we call roanga Māori here, which is a, and it's using medicinal herbs and from from inside the bush you know you go and you collect there's one called kawakawa and kawakawa is a blood and lymph cleanser and it's quite peppery flavor but it is phenomenal how it will shift the consistency of blood it's used for diabetes and drinks now everything you know so there is a lot like cinnamon for diabetes you know it down regulates the sugars i mean there's so much to her herbs or herbs uh, that you can use you know and the great thing is it, you can just go and find some recipes and put them in like I, I did a dish the other day and it's just this um, carrot and beetroot and then you put in sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds which are seeds are great especially pumpkin seeds for cleansing the gut but um, I put mint in and my brother-in-law doesn't like mint and he ate it he went oh my god this is so nice you know so it's amazing how you can get certain properties into into um the food that you provide and it's it is a, an easy way to extra um, upregulate the the vitamin b's c's or any vitamins sorry or minerals if you're finding a way to try and enhance your health i don't think it has to be complicated james honestly i think we make it too complicated Absolutely. Well, you talked also about walking an hour to school. and I had to do like a 30-minute walk to a regular bus and another, I think it was like 10, 15 minutes after that. So it was still, you know, collectively a decent workout there and back. What else were you doing as far as exercise or sports when you were in the school years? Well, I was one of those geeks that loved to read. And then my mum said to me one day, you need to go and play sport. Well, unfortunately, people that know me, James, is once you challenge me, I'll I'll give you anything to go. So I was a soccer player. Uh, so do you call it soccer or football? Like I call it football. Yeah. So I was, and I was an under-19 rep for our region. Uh, I also played volleyball. I played touch rugby. What else did I play? Uh, indoor netball. I think that was it. So mum, because we were four children, and mum was <laughs> beside herself because she was taking me to every single game along with the other siblings so yeah I played a lot of different sport it was great it was uh was a big part of our lives so what were you at that same age what were you dreaming of becoming profession wise I actually wanted to be a commercial pilot which is ironic because my oldest daughter has just completed her private pilot license and is about to 
work and or she's underway with becoming a commercial pilot so I've never told her the story but you know she's isn't that interesting that you know I missed out but I, when I found out it was going to cost me 200,000 I went yeah nah it's not going to happen <laughs> so then walk me through kind of the the educational path that took you into holistic medicine well, I always call it my past life actually was probably my biggest job was with the New Zealand Fire Service. So I started uh, in my younger years, I was in my mid-20s in that role, and I was uh, what they call volunteer support, which I supported all the volunteer stations throughout the Western Bay Plenty, which is a big area here. And uh, I was responsible for the financial side of things and then IT. And then I also took on the role managing the exams for nationally for the whole country. So that was my first real intro. You know, I learned everything from understanding culture, understanding working with men. That was probably one of the biggest, I think, amazing parts of that journey for me was understanding how to work with men. Because, you know, I was this... Well, at the time, I had very strong red hair. When I, before my children, I say suck the life out of me, and not so much now. But um, so you know, I was this young girl who had a lot of information, a lot of knowledge around accounting, bookwork, that kind of thing. And I was going into what we call fire chiefs. I'm not too sure that's that the same name that they get in in England. Uh, the fire chiefs is that what you said? Yeah. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So I was going in and telling them what to do. You know, well, that doesn't go down well, <laughs> you know. So I'll never forget a station officer pulled me aside and he goes, Desiree, we need to talk. And this is how you do it. And honestly, from that day forward, I understood the different way to communicate and relate with men, which I think has been invaluable in my career. I would spend in my world now probably about 98% of it with men. Uh, because of the kind of being up in the CEO sort of level, you're dealing a lot with them. And that was one of the greatest benefits. But I learned so much about administration. And then I was dealing with financials. And I was, you know, driving around and supporting volunteer stations. But it gave me a real insight to insight to resilience, insight to what goes on in our community that none of us see. And I think that's when I kind of, and then I went through a marriage breakup, which kind of threw me and I had to find more meaning to life. I had my first child and, uh, you know, I was still very young. She was young. So I kind of went, there has to be more meaning in life. So that's when I came across an article actually on, it was on a, a I don't know if you've heard of a technique, shiatsu. Uh, yeah, actually, the only time I've ever had a massage in my entire life or a massage um, was in Japan, and it was a shiatsu. And uh, I remember friends of mine that had it had like flu-like symptoms for two days from all the, the drainage after that. Yeah, so it's uh, basically acupressure, really, is how I would explain it. And so it was a three-year uh, program to complete my diploma in there. And so after the three years, I decided to jump out and get started and uh so that was it was quite challenging because in those days which is a few years ago now it was very very new to New Zealand we're still I call us quite behind in comparison to like America or European countries when it comes to 
they tend to get called alternative health rather than complementary. And I find that hard because we're not saying it's alternative to, we're trying to complement what you're doing. So then I went into a technique called orthobionomy, which is an osteopathic approach, but you don't crunch. So it's a lot of movement with the body. So isometric, so creating resistance against the body. So it was great for releasing ribs, backs, those sorts of things. So I could incorporate the two. And it was on that weekend of one of those courses, which was actually an American teaching. And he uh, turned around and introduced me to lymphatics. And that's pretty much when I fell in love with that system and couldn't understand why we weren't working with it on a more holistic approach rather than it just drains a bit of fluid. And so that's when I started my journey. And I was in the United States on off for a year to get my study underway with them. I was using a technology that was developed in the United States at the time. And then I became their international trainer. So I've been teaching over there for about 15 years now. And then I moved more into lymphatics and an understanding of combining my as you do, your other modalities. So the energetics of it, the emotion of it, the the full body approach to lymphatics rather than, for example, if you have lymphedema of an arm, I'm just going to work on your arm. No, I'm looking at you as a whole because no one can heal with just one part of the puzzle. You need the whole puzzle. So that's when, um, and so I was visiting places in the US, they call them biological functional clinics. And I was teaching a lot on site. And one of the doctors uh, that I'd become quite close to who's in Arizona, Dr. Jeff Drobot, he said, can you just create something for us? Like, come on, you must have the wisdom to be able to pull something together. And I'm looking, I'm going, I'm a clinician, not a med tech, you know, engineer. Come on. He goes, yeah, no, I've got great faith in you. So I was at the time, a colleague and I had a massive clinic here with 12, well, it is for New Zealand, 12 different practitioners. It was was quite stressful to manage and so we both decided that we had sort of had enough of being the managers because we were kind of losing our own selves and amongst it all and not doing what we loved so we went our separate ways and I literally became the mad scientist in the garage or in the garage or the basement and uh, spent a year trying to work out what we could and couldn't do created my first prototype I actually went to America and handed it out to three colleagues of mine to see if it was working totally embarrassed by it now because it is like you know the real junior version but I had to see if we're on it and I was barely flying out I was actually in LA in the customs and I got sent the first testimonial and it was a woman who had had limes for 26 years crying because she felt good for the first time in over 20 years so that was me crying in the middle of Los Angeles <laughs> uh, airport going, oh, my God, I'm this game. But then it was back to the drawing board. We weren't, the product wasn't durable. Our supplier for the stuff wasn't great. So fast forward, this was March 2019. Fast forward February 2020, we launched and we had the new, what I call the Rolls Royce or the limousine of Flowpreso. The country got shut down in New Zealand one month later. We had one case of COVID and our whole country got shut down. So, yeah, that was my journey to where I am now. (laughs) Well, I want to get to that because there's a couple of things that I literally just had a friend of mine 
talk about his admiration for your prime minister, who I had admired for a long time, but there were some unusual decisions made. So I just kind of want to get your perspective. I don't live in New Zealand and not from a political side, from a wellness side. Before we do, I would be uh, remiss if I didn't ask if you could articulate how what words of wisdom would you get to not only women, men as well, but but what did you learn as far as the communication with men that, that you didn't understand prior to, to your journey back then? Do you know one of the things I really prize men in is the ability to help. I was given a bit of wisdom a long time ago, always go in with, I don't know what I don't know. And men will always help. If we go in with a attitude, I know it all, or we're really challenging what I call, you know, men's uh, ability to be forthright and helpful. Because a men, you know, if we go back many, many years, you know, men were designed to, you know, help be the provider, everything like that. And men want to resolve a, a problem. You want to help us with a solution, not us come in and tell you you haven't done it right and you're useless and blah, blah, blah. This is how it has to be. It was more that I don't know what I don't know. So help me understand. So if I took it back to the fire service at the time, it was more like help me understand how you're doing this right now. How are you working with your accounts, all the rest, so I can understand if I can support you in changing that or being more effective. So I empowered as opposed to disempower. I'm not saying women do that, but I'm just saying I think we forget that men love to help. They love to fix a problem. And so being able to learn from them what they know allowed me to then go. I'll never forget the one time I was in front of like 140 chief fire officers for volunteer stations. And I got, uh, before me got up our he was a assistant fire region manager for finance. And I had to do a big talk on changing the way our volunteers were doing their financial statements so that we could insist them with their budgets. He got up and he goes, he ends the conversation with, well, as she's in a, a skirt, I'm sure you'll listen to her more. Oof. And I went, <laughs> wow. So that was the kind of environment I was in at the time. There was that kind of, you know, men and women and women had their place and, you know, you had to, I won't lie, you was, a lot of women had to sleep their way to the top. Well, that wasn't in my psyche. It was, I was going to earn on credit. And I remember an account manager sitting there with his head between his hands, just shaking his head in disbelief, this just got said. So, you know what, I got up there and I went, you know, hey, I just want to try and help you understand why we need to change this. So let's go into the why. Let's, let's see the relevance and what we can do for you if, we changed this. Went through perfectly. And then I went at the end and I turned to the side because I had a skirt on. And, and after all, I'm in the skirt. So hopefully you'll now listen to me. And honestly, <laughs> everyone cracked up. But it was learning that this was the kind of, it was easy to shift. Uh, and then I never got a, a dis, I never got a comment again that was um, disrespectful. It was just holding accountability, but in a way that you were, you know, you were also very centered. But men are amazing at helping. I, it wasn't that long ago. I was sitting in front of three gentlemen from the United States. One was ex-Secret Service to the president. And I'm sitting there going, oh, this is going to be, you know, because I still consider I'm this little young woman down the bottom of New Zealand, you know, naive. And I just went, I don't know what I don't know. I'm hoping you can help straight away. And 
best bit of information I can ever give anyone is that support because men genuinely want to help. See, I agree. I think people want to help. And this is one of the, sadly, the the negative side effects of this division that's been driven into a lot of the nations this last few years is it broke up the community. And I think that, you know, when, when all these horrible videos are shared of people, you know, families fighting each other over this stuff and, you know, the school fights that people are filming rather than breaking up, those are a small percentage of the real people who I think truly want to help. One thing I've learned in my second marriage, um, you're absolutely right. We're fixers and I'm a firefighter paramedic. So I'm a fixer on steroids. And <laughs> my wife, you know, came from some tragedy prior to when we met. And so when she would be having a low um, initially and she would get anxious and she'd get frustrated, I would kind of butt heads because or I would think, well, just let's fix this, let's figure it out. And I realized that when she was kind of angry at me, just pulling her in, and holding her and listening, not fixing, was actually the right thing to do. So flipping it round, mm-hmm. how? What would you advise men as far as interacting with women, seeing as we're on this t- this topic? Well, ironically, my husband is twenty eight years in the police, and it was the same issue. I've actually just learnt to say, "I don't need you to fix this. I just need you to listen. I need you to hold me." That's it. Because if men know that they don't have to fix it, they'll step aside and just do. But we've got, we, I think one of the biggest issues is we expect someone to know what we want. So the first thing is with your male or female, be honest and say what you need. And then if a woman's saying to you, I just want, you know, I just want to offload, you know, then just let her, don't let her, don't fix it. Cause that's what girlfriends do. The girlfriends left them offload. No one, the girlfriends just talk around, around in circles. We don't actually fix anything. But, One of the things I've learned, especially in the last three years, with everything that's gone on in the world and being in a CEO role, role, because I didn't sign up for this. I was a clinician. That's what my passion is. Was the ability to then talk about something and be able to bring it out in all its context. Most of the time you found the solution within yourself, and that's empowerment. Because someone's always trying to fix it. You never really are sure if you've aligned with what you're trying to achieve. And I think that's what men can do is just allow a woman to offload. And then if you want, at some point go, do you need me to help you fix this? Or just do you just want me to give you a hug? Beautiful. Well, thank you. It took me a long time to learn that. So we should have this conversation about <laughs> 10 years ago. <laughs> well, who tells anyone, right? Like, you know, we're all supposed to know it for some reason. I don't know who thought that. But <laughs> they did say, was it men are from Mars and women are from Venus? There was that book that was written many years ago. So, yes, yeah. I believe so. Well, I want to get to COVID. But just before I do, I heard you on a conversation with uh, Callie Kennedy on the podcast that you guys did. And it was excellent. But you touched on the fact that you had um, you had an electric shock to the heart. Now, was that an actual electrocution? I was using a technology at the time that had a faulty electrode, and I was actually working on a quite an extensive, it was quite an uh, enhanced lymphedema case. Luckily, she was asleep. And ironically, now, if you know anything about meridians, the little finger is the heart meridian. And I touched the electrode on this finger it bolted me through into my left chest, hit me, threw me back. And ironically, I was working in a place called the cardiac clinic at the time. <laughs> so as soon as I could get her settled and, and, and I leave the room, he put me on an ECG and my 
cart was all over the show. I was having chest pains. It was it was the most horrible experience that I've had. We I didn't have an insert site or a, an exit site like you do when you might get lightning or an, an electrical shock and electricity. Uh, but it was very similar and it completely dysregulated my heart rate. I was living with on 110 resting. So I was, it was like I was constantly going. It was like I was running all the time in my body. And it was, it was talk about a kick into the heart. You know, it was really quite profound. And the only thing I was grateful is where I was working at the time. We were able to start to work. I went to cardiologists. They couldn't do anything to fix it. Do you know how bad it was? My cardiologist turned around and says, oh, because I would black out on planes. Because once I went over the equator, I don't know what was happening. My blood pressure would drop and then I would black out. So he just wanted me to put my hands together and go like this to create some pressure to get blood on my heart. And I'm looking and I'm going. And still to this day, I went back because my blood pressure has gone up to what people would probably call normal because I had a lower blood pressure. But I in, a, in an hour, my blood pressure can change. So it's always still to this day slightly dysregulated. At least my heart rate's down to about 80 or something. I know when it changes. But, it, you know, that's manageable. I can do that. But, yeah, completely, completely through me. Amazing. Well, again, we'll get on to, to you know, the, the tools that you used. So you found yourself there right at the beginning of COVID. Talk to me about that experience through the lens of a New Zealander. It's created a division. That's the saddest part in New Zealand. Like Jacinda's just retired. She retired as of yesterday. <clears throat> She's finishing up on the 7th of February. And I can assure you, there's very mixed feelings. It was time. It was needed. Change has to occur. Now, Jacinda did a phenomenal, uh, she was phenomenal through that horrific earthquake, the horrific shooting that we had at the mosques. She showed uh, incredible empathy, support. There was a real side to her we all loved because she really stepped up above and beyond. When COVID hit the initial shutdown, we all agreed we were ready to do that. If it meant that we could save the country, because we're little, we didn't have the resources, our hospital systems aren't great here and still aren't. There's been no, since this whole thing, which is that, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with nurses coming in and they're ready to just break. Well, they are breaking because there's no extra staff, there's no extra, you know, uh, high dependence units there's nothing right nothing's really changed in New Zealand even though we've had been through this for three years so the first lockdown was with just one person and I remember being on calls in the US and they're going what we've got like 30 coming through a day what do you mean like you know as in in their own office let alone in the whole of the US but she thought that if she could go hard and fast maybe we could save the country from it escalating and it did it did like we I mean I loved it it was I tell you what, if you want to see a change to the ecological aspect of your country, shut the country down for six weeks and see what happens. At the time, we were living on a motorway. All of a sudden, there's no cars. All of a sudden, there's bird life like we've never seen. There was really big rats running around as well. But, <laughs> you know, there was just this whole change to the ecosystem. You know, I mean, we don't have a lot of the smog like you do in the US, but it, I mean, I don't know if you saw the photos in China and that the changes were phenomenal and that 
six-week program. That was fine. And then I think the greatest heartache for me was the day they mandated the vaccinations. And then and for me, the most misfortune or unfortunate thing was was, was when um, Jacinda Ardern came out and went, these are them and an us. And she divided the country. This was even for people, the bit that I struggle the most is this was for even people that uh, had, had already had a vaccine and had a horrific side effect and couldn't get a second. Like it was critical, some of these things that were going on. And I really think we did a second lockdown in August for two weeks. That was when I saw mental health skyrocket. Professionals and, and businesses, you know, just going, I couldn't handle that one. It was too much. I just, the lack of, you know, the feeling of fear, the feeling, and our media just went terrible with it, which I still think have a lot to answer for this. But, you know, the fear, the unknown, the, the, the trying to support your staff, but going home to your family, our kids in New Zealand are in the worst state I have ever seen that could be because of the going back to school, the fear, the fear of the parents, the stress, the anxiety. So many kids don't want to go back to, or children, sorry, go back to school. You know, there's all of this ripple now that the mental health, our, I was talking to a guy from the Armed Defenders Squad, so he, that's equivalent to the SWAT in the US. I was talking to him the, uh, just before the end of last year. Our family violence has gone up 80% just in our area here, 80% in our district. And so it's had this horrific bigger picture, let alone what COVID's done, what the vaccine's done. We've seen lots of long haul. Uh, we're seeing... And if I take that one step further, I don't know if you saw in Canada, they actually are now issuing TENS machines for the vagus nerve because they know that COVID attacks the vagus nerve. Now, it would explain then why there's so much diversity with presentations with long COVID because the vagus nerve has, has so much impact on the rest of the body. And so for me, when I got it, it lasted, I only had it for two, three days and I wasn't vaccinated. And so it was really interesting because I was observing how it was annoying certain parts of my body because of, and that was where my weaknesses were. So in other words, I had a, a, where I'd taken the hit from the, ele the electric shop, the, I still get this tender point in the back of my shoulder. It was really achy there. I have a left kidney that plays up every now and then. It went there, you know, so it was really, I observed this whole thing because I'm thinking holistically, why is it doing what it is doing? But we're still, so then all of a sudden, I suppose the hardest thing for me was, okay, we locked a country down, then all of a sudden we opened a country up. So we had all this thing where people couldn't come and see their parents die from overseas because you had to go into this mandatory um, setup where you'd go into a hotel for two weeks, you'd be in isolation before you'd be let out. But guess what? Someone would come in a week later and next minute they're walking together out in their little perimeter that they're allowed to exercise in. And, you know, it was just the bizarrest thing for us, for most of us to understand. But then next minute, we just open up the gates. Floodgates open. We're all good. Let's do this. And that's just the, I think, for all of all of us here. And the it's been so hard. And economy-wise, it's more or less destroyed our tourism. Because I was even in the U.S., two, three months ago, and it was interesting. I had a pilot go, oh, you're from New Zealand. And he goes, okay, I was going to come to New Zealand or Australia, so where do you think I'm safest at coming? And I went, 
All I'm going to say is the advantage to us in New Zealand is there's only one person that's going to lock us down. In Australia, you've got six different states, so it could be anyone. So you're probably a bit safer to come to New Zealand, but I think it's really affected our tourism because of the uncertainty of how extreme our steps have been. I mean, some people really give us accolades, but when you see the internal cost here now, uh, I think we're going to be struggling for a few years now to recover from this, especially from the psychological aspect. It really divided, like you, I know it divided families over there, but it divided communities, you know, and and people, you know, it got down to the point where if someone came up to me and asked me, I was, I was vaccinated, I'll go, I was turning around going, have you had an STD? And that's, sorry, a sexually transmitted disease because I'm going, if I go back to being a practitioner, it is enforced on us. There's a code of ethics. You never, ever speak about confidential information when it comes to health. Why all of a sudden did it become the right of everyone to know each other's health status? That's the bit I never could understand because it was such a thing that is such a, a it's such a big thing that's pushed on us in, in our health field. So yeah, I there's been a few things we've really all struggled with, and I know you do the best that you can. I certainly wouldn't have liked to have been in that position trying to manage it. I mean, we had those horrific um, protests in Wellington, really poorly managed uh, in front of the you know, down at the government there and, you know, that it could have been dealt with completely differently and, you know, but I'm not in power. <laughs> so I'm always, you know, I'm always going, it's easy to think what you do differently, but could you actually do it differently? But yeah, unfortunately, like everywhere in the world, there's been a cost to this. Well, firstly, thank you, because again, I like to ask these questions and shut the hell up because we weren't there in Canada and Sweden and Japan and New Zealand, but you know, people that come on the show were. One thing, I, I came as a tourist years ago, um, it was about 20 years ago now, goodness, um, and was blown away first how friendly you know, the, the, the Kiwis were to, to myself, so I'm assuming the, the Brits how clean everything was there you know the real kind of connection with the uh the conservation and um you know environmental element and again this is one thing that broke my heart mother nature showed us hey i can heal from all the things you've done to me and that was completely disregarded you know we had dolphins in the nile and all these kind of crazy things or not now the uh, the venice canal um you know just i watched california that i used to live in you could see the mountains again it was incredible but the when I think back, I think of New Zealand even 20 years ago as a underlyingly healthy population. And this is what has been my truth. I started, I added another uh, episode per week after hearing all the god-awful misinformation on the American media. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to keep bringing on these amazing people, you know, these wellness professionals, but I'm going to bring even more of them so I can put as much good information out as I can. I had people talking about the the vaccine efficacies on a positive note. I had people talking it on a negative note. You know, I had people who lost their jobs because of mandates. I had people that were in ICUs that were full of COVID patients. So telling the real story, but the the truth that emerged from all of this, and I just did a post about this today on social media, that we didn't have a, a virus problem. We had a wellness problem. 
and that made people very susceptible to dying from a virus that really should have just made them ill. And my kind of aha moment again to kind of revamp this is I just was curious with this latest flu strain, people really seem to be getting knocked sideways from the flu. And my my family in England, my family in Portugal, here in America, this is another global pandemic of this influenza strain. Very, very similar, you know, from different countries. There's a GI distress. There's a really, really bad muscle achy flu. There's this, you know, persistent cough. And so I Googled it. I mean, I, I say Google there. I went to the CDC website and looked, and 50,000 Americans have died in the last four months from influenza. That hasn't made the news. That hasn't got people murdering each other. And so this is what really breaks my heart. And when I looked at New Zealand, like we saw in Sweden, for example, who was demonized for the way they handled it, they had a very, very healthy population. They Every country shut down at the beginning because none of us knew what was going on. But then they were like, huh, doesn't seem too bad. And then they started opening it back up. What I found very strange in New Zealand is it seemed like there was a little bit of that most of the time. And it was at the end that the mandates and the lockdowns, which I can't help wondering if that came from the extremism here in the US towards the end with the current administration and maybe some of the extremism out of Australia as well that made no sense because really it had run its course and we'd gone down to a, a much more mild version of this virus by then. Yeah, I agree. We didn't understand either. We couldn't understand why everyone was lifting and we were going in. When we'd already done that extreme lockdown, I mean, that was financially big for the country. They did a small you know, financial support and a lot of people did exactly that. It was like ghost towns everywhere. Everyone, everyone that was the one thing I will say about our amazing country. And we're like well, four, four and a half million people. We're not, you know, we're not big, but we all came together on that day and we all agreed to lock down. We were like all the good children that did everything we were told by mum. And, you know, she got called Auntie Cindy and Mum Cindy and stuff, you know, like we did it because we thought, well, if we could save the country from, you know, our elderly and and the ones at high risk, then it was worth doing, you know, and we're the same here. We've got these flus going around. And, you know, I'm in lymphatics. Lymphatics is immunology. It's in, they're, they're the two are the same. And I have seen a deterioration for a long time in the average human in other words, because we're eating food that we shouldn't, we're drinking, we're under different stresses, we're up too late, we're, you know, we're, all our circadian rhythms are out, we're, you know, our environments aren't as healthy, whether it be, you know, the chemicals we're breathing or the, we're always in front of computers, you know, or the overstimuli. And, of course, then put in a, I call it PTSD. I Honestly, I think... COVID has created a form of PTSD for everyone on some level because of the trauma that we've all been to to adapt, whether it's the fear of getting it, whether it's the, the concern around how's my business going to survive in this, whether it's the stress of how I'm going to look after my children and my, you know, my environment. You know, there's been just so much aspects to that. And I tell you what, stress is one of the biggest impacts on immunity it will downregulate immunity and so guess what now we're even weaker we want to use that word or our immune system is not, not as strong and we're doing a lymphatic summit here in New Zealand we're doing it's a it's a podcast that we're going to well a series of podcasts I should say that we're going to launch in February and 
it's uh, designed to educate on lymphatics and it's all pre-recorded, etc. cetera, or launch and it's all free. Anyway, what's been interesting is the last question we ask is the trend for 2023. What is the trend you want to predict? And I have people in the US, New Zealand and Australia on this and it's really fascinating in their own individual way. They're asking that the trend this year is that we empower. We empower ourselves. We have love and gratitude for ourselves. And then we empower ourselves to make decisions that's right for us. And first and foremost, our families and then our external environment. Because if we empower emotionally, that gives us strength. If we have strength, and we feel in control, and it's not about controlling your environment because no one can do that, let's face it. You know, it changes every minute of the day. But if we can control how we feel, where we want to go and what we do, then we're going to all of a sudden downregulate some of that stress, more importantly, boost the immunity. That was an observation that I made. When you come from a wellness background, and if you could be king or queen for a day, and something like this happens it seemed like everything that would actually make you stronger and more resilient to a virus was taken away and everything that would make you weaker was put in place. So the gyms, parks, beaches were closed. The, uh, the, you know, community was, was broken up. People were told to stay inside, not outside, but you could have fast food and alcohol delivered to your, your home. And then, so you think about that stress and that inability to deregulate, especially in my community, he was already experiencing that when they're at work and the autonomy as well. Like there's a huge mental health truth. When you lose autonomy, that is a huge stressor within itself. So when you look and you take a step back, we did literally, I can even be more, you know, this isn't an exaggeration. We literally did the reverse of what should have been done to make people more resilient. I agree totally. Was it was, and most most health professionals will be a hundred percent in agreement with this. We all sat back and went, okay, why aren't we talking about the immune system? Why aren't we talking about you know if you're not into suggesting vitamin C, at least eat more oranges or vitamin C foods or you know we I mean some of the best research that came out was vitamin D. I could get out in the sun if you can't be with groups of people at least get outside hug the people you're closest to because the oxytocin and the feel good and all that in itself is immune building you know like was it vitamin c vitamin d and zinc you know like it was all none of us we were given no education at all in any i don't think i think there was a couple of countries that did but in the us i didn't see it and especially not here in new zealand or australia absolutely well you talked about um you know, your journey with uh, Flowpresso. Just before we talk about how you did navigate COVID and, and what you're doing with that product now, if you wouldn't mind, educate us on the principles of, of lymphatics and, um, you know, some of the lesser known areas of that particular uh, philosophy. So the lymphatic system's like the garbage truck. It takes the rubbish away. I think it's that simply put. It's like, or it's a sewage system. And it's one of the most important drainage aspects of your body. We talk a lot about detox, but we forget that there has to be a drainage process. So, you know, you need to obviously poo, peep, all those sweat, those sorts of things to eliminate. But if you haven't got the ability to take away the byproduct, which is what lymphatics does, then you're not, you're, you're basically reaccumulating. I use the terrible analogy because it is, but you know, it gets the truth through is that when you go to the toilet, you flush the toilet with clean water. 
to get rid of the byproduct. And we, that's why it's so important we drink water, but we also need the flush or the sewage system to take away, and that's your lymphatics. But the lymphatic system is also your immune system. So it's where your B cells are, your T cells, all the fighter cells that you want to create an immune response when we're dealing with illness. So if you're, if you think about your cells that are bathing in fluids, we have the blood system that feeds in nutrients and oxygen. And, and then if you think about the cell being a fish, let's just put a, you know, goldfish in a bowl and think of the bowl as the fluids that your cells are bathing in. If you haven't got a, a filtration or a pumping system moving that fluid away, guess what? It starts to accumulate. The goldfish is, you know, putting byproduct in there and then it clouds over. And if we don't remove that, the, the goldfish will die. This is what happens to your cells if we're not moving the fluid through into the lymphatics. The lymphatics drains up to 85% of your tissue fluids. There's more lymphatic fluid than there is blood. And the lymphatic system is significantly larger than the blood system. So just to give you the enormity of how important the system is, we have our lymph nodes. Most people might call them glands. You know, they swell when they've got a sore throat or sometimes they get swollen in your armpits. Unfortunately, most of the education comes from cancer where they've been removed. They're the little powerhouse. So in New Zealand, we have what they call transfer stations at our you know, garbage places where they decide what's worth keeping, what do you recycle, what do you dump, that kind of thing. Very similar analogy. So they're designed to go, what is okay to come through? Like what isn't, you know, it's healthy, it's well, we can move that through back to the heart or what's a virus, what's a cancer cell? And this is where it immobilizes that frontline team to destroy anything that's going on. So even if you get cancer in the first node or second node, you know, I'm going, well, who? The nodes did their job. Like they're holding it at bay. They're trying to fight this thing for you. And so there's a lot of argument as cancer spread through lymphatics. Well, every lymphology conference I've been to date, they said no. That there's but there's still everyone's still trying to study and research. Ironically, lymphatics is all about letting go. Letting go of what you no longer want to hold on to. So whether that's weight, byproduct, emotion. So the system is really significant in how well you are, how well you breathe, because it doesn't have its own pump. So it's not like the heart that can pump the blood around. Lymphatics relies on you to move, so literally move, as in get off that chair and move, or breathe really well. And a lot of people don't breathe efficiently, as I talked about earlier. So it's more of a shallow breathing as, as opposed to abdominal. Ironically, there's a thing called the cisterna chile, which just sits below our breastbone. And it's designed to draw all the fluid from the abdomen legs up to come up through here to left subclavian. And so that's, you know, if we don't breathe, we're not pumping and moving. So again, we get this stagnation. They say if the lymphatic system doesn't work over 48 hours, you will die. So that's the kind of understanding. It's just not working efficiently. There's more junk coming into our internal environment than what there is leaving so our issue is coming back to of course that if we're not moving that lymph efficiently or effectively then we're not going to move the byproduct well that was perfect because i mean you've educated me hugely and what's so crazy is 
each one of these conversations that I have, especially if we're talking about nutrition, breath work, you know, cold, hot, contrast, all these different areas, you see these lines intersect, the Venn diagram, and then there's that, you know, truth in the middle. And here we go again, even though you're talking about the lymphatic system, you've educated me on another reason why we need to abdominally, well, not abdominally, but, you know, belly breathe and why we need to take walks and, and all these things that sound kind of obvious but as you said you know we're one netflix binge session away from doing neither so you know again with the covid example simply going outside and walking your dog and focusing on keeping your mouth closed and, and maybe just nose breathing through that entire trip can also unbeknownst to most of us be helping your lymphatic system as well correct movement is key you know it's but movement is life if we don't move in life, we literally don't move in ourselves. So the thing is for me is that, and it doesn't have to be high intense. You know, it can be the walk around the, the neighborhood. It can be, you know, for some people, especially our elderly, we just get them pumping on their feet just to be able to get that movement so that to be able to get change in their body. So, you know, I know for some people, it's really hard to get out and move because of arthritis or their conditions, but some movement builds to more movement which builds to more movement and and that's where the key is with lymphatics you you need to move and that's the only way or improve that breathing significantly now total tangent just for a second you have an incredible indigenous community within your own country or their country um the the maori are there any elements of their culture because i talk about this a lot i think one of the things it's not just focusing on medicine i think modern society there's an air of arrogance of disregarding ancient wisdom and obviously a lot of those are carried on with a lot of the indigenous tribes whether it's the native americans here or maori or aboriginals in australia what would you if you if you could pull some of the things that they do incredibly well what would they be for that particular culture you have in new zealand they come from the heart in that Tatapafa model, I talked about the mind, body, spirit, and whanau. But one of the things we talk about here is the wairua. So the wairua is the connection to the heart of who you are, to the soul, if you want to use that word, or to the to the more of what we aren't really sure who we are yet, but we know there's more to us than just the physical body we sit within. To get to the wairua, which is might be spirit, would be more the word that most people would use. You have to go through the heart. So when we talk about anything in New Zealand, especially if you're considering Māori health, is you you acknowledge it all. You acknowledge your ancestors from the past. You are present in the now. Your understanding of the fact that if you're not connected to that true source of, of what source is to you. So source, you know, it's so diverse for each individual, whether that's a God, whether that's the universe, whether it's whatever, but there's a purpose to get out of bed every day. They are very big about being in the heart. And I think, and what I've seen and what I feel, is that the last three years has completely disconnected us from that. It's disconnected us from a somatic. So when you go in this flow preso and you are wrapped up, we literally wrap you up, love you and hug you. Really, that's just, you know, and it's pieces that wrap around you. One of the things that we do with people is we ask them to go through and explain, does it feel like a hug? or a blood pressure cuff squeeze. Because when we're in blood pressure cuff squeeze, we go into sympathetic. When we're getting a hug, we go parasympathetic. It is absolutely fascinating how many people don't know how to feel right now. 
they're so externally out there trying to manage the stress that they've completely forgot what this feels like. When you bring them into that feeling, when you bring them back into who they are and the unique, beautiful aspect of what this person came on this earth to be, that's when you see them shine. And that's what Māori Health is about, bringing you to be the perfect version of yourself. Now, perfect is a bit of a diverse word, but it's the best version of yourself. That's what they are big about is it's not just about the physicality. It's what what does life mean to you? What it was it important to you? Why do you want to get out of bed every day? Why? And I think, you know, they have the most beautiful stories and ways to do this as well. But, you know, fundamentally, we want you to connect to the wairua. Beautiful. Well, obviously, when people think of Maori, the haka is a big one. And I've shared numerous videos, whether it's on a rugby field or there was one, it was a, a school somewhere in New Zealand and one of their school mates had died and it was a, a haka out of respect to him and there's not a dry eye in any of those and these are big masculine men but the emotion and the heart in the haka at that point another one was uh i think i think it was an irish rugby coach who i think he'd actually trained in new, Ze- in new zealand team i think I'm, I'm i'm not a great rugby buff but anyway he'd passed away and this the all blacks i think it was were playing um the his home Irish team and they brought his jersey lay it down and did the heart you know it's just and so you know we talk about that I talk about a lot about the yin yang that a man isn't all hard you know he should be soft as well that's what took him into the police the fire etc and I think that that display is beautiful yes in one sense it's a war you know dance but in another sense they're using it in this most beautiful um you know communal connective display of of love ultimately yeah one of the most powerful ones um, i mean to see it on tv is one thing to be in it is another uh because they're very much about energy and uh i had a young boy who was only 16 years and he got osteosarcoma and he passed and he was some he was unique he wrote this most powerful poem just before he passed and translated from Māori to New Zealand it was basically put your swords down and use your words in other words it's time we started talking rather than fighting when we came to his uh funeral uh we so there's quite a big process in New Zealand when it comes to the passing but when it actually came to the day he was buried There was over 600 people there. There was every walk of life there who were his schoolmates right through to gang members. And then those boys stood up and did the haka. And it was the most emotional, powerful experience to be part of because it's about respect as well. So, you know, it's about respecting those that are in front of us, but those that are behind us and those who are present. And that's what there's so much more. And that's why it moves so many people, because even though you may not understand it, you know, you can feel it. And I was in a talk one day, I'd met, they call them elders or kamatua. It was a group of elders and men, and they were talking a Māori. And of course, I'm still as English as they come. And I know certain words, but um, I just closed my eyes. And I was listening and he said, you didn't know what we said, did you? And I went, no, but I felt it. And they they smiled because to me it's the, there's so much 
you know, in any language, though, if you close your eyes and you feel it, there's always such an energy to it, right? You don't need to necessarily know exactly word for word what they're saying, but you can feel that they're they're saying something that has true meaning and then they'll always translate it for you. But, yeah, Māori is beautiful like that. And the haka is a very, very powerful um, experience to be part of uh, and, and to observe. Beautiful. I'm glad I asked that question, so thank you. Um, we're going on to the Rolls-Royce version of your Flowspresso, February 2020. Um, you know, obviously, ultimately, we came out of, of this this pandemic, and I, I wish I'd say life went back to normal. There were so many lessons disregarded, but re- regardless, talk to me about what you were able to to create that would allow people all over the planet to have the same kind of... Uh, um, therapy that you yourself would offer in person it actually so the unit was originally developed for lymphatics uh, and it was because of the pandemic and us being shut down i fortunately had uh colleagues in the united states that could continue talking about these things but a profound shift which i'm grateful for the pandemic that occurred because probably wouldn't have had a happened had it not was what I wasn't proud of was the fact that we had a critical incident here in New Zealand in our hometown. A guy uh, kind of went a bit crazy with a shotgun. And uh, anyway, the police had to manage it in a way that we don't want to see happen, but does. And uh, there was obviously the aftermath to that. So, you know, this was armed defender squad, again, equivalent to your SWAT. And, you know, they were struggling with the fact that they had to, you know, deal with, do what they had to do with this guy. And, uh, Long story short, the wellness officer, the local wellness officer, uh, reached out and asked if they could put one of them through Flopriso because they wanted to see if it would help him. He didn't want EAP or counselling. He wanted something different. He was ex-military as well, so he could kind of feel that he was, and he was a diver. So he was used to regulating breath and all those things. We could just feel he was sort of not regulating well enough. So he came and had a session and from what I was told, he went back and goes, this was phenomenal. I feel like I've had a reset or a control op delete. I'm back into my zone again. So the wellness officer reached out. And at the time, I'd done some studies with the cardiac clinic about, uh, you know, seeing if we changed blood pressure. And we were noticing these changes in sleep, stress, and heart rate variability. And I'm like, God, it'd be great to do a study to see if this is a real thing. So I happened to mention to, uh, to this health, this wellness officer, and I think within 24 hours, I had 14 people. Like it was no shortage of, you know, choice available at that point. So we put through these particular group, most of the, you know, and it was about 50% were AOS and then the rest were either frontline or even management. We put a diverse group through. So we were measuring heart rate variability, sleep scores, you know, stress score, And I think what came out of it was that, you know, we had, I think it was a 73% improvement in their sleep and there was a 62% improvement in their fatigue. So this was sort of like, wow, we're onto something. The most amazing thing that happened at that point is the district commander at the time went, and he was one of our candidates, he, for the first time in 40 years, slept for eight hours. And it was a game changer for him. And he decided his team needed help. So he found the money. He said, you know, I don't care. I'm finding a way to help my local team. And then he started in September 2020 rolling out 
services within the station so that we were we kitted the stations out with a flow preso and a technician to manage it and then they just put the staff through so we started to comb through a whole lot of staff and what happened is we then go well oh can we do a real study like you know a one with the university and get you know all the ethics approved so that we can actually you know publish it so we did we uh, got 135 police officers, male and female, and we put them through three sessions, one a week, and the sessions, 40 minutes. And the results came out that under up to 92%, 92% of the respondents had changed their sleep, of which there was a 25% improvement. So if you think about it, it was like an extra couple of hours sleep. And then what we also found that, you know, some improved their anxiety by 53%. And then we also had stress improved by about 36 to 38%. So all of a sudden we went, wow, this is doing something that we hadn't expected. And so then I'm scrambling to go, well, how do I explain this to anyone? Like, how do I say that, oh, I can put you in this suit that looks like you're going to the moon. And then all of a sudden you're going to sleep better and you're going to have less stress and anxiety. So then we found the analogy deep pressure therapy, uh, sorry, the, the myth, um, the modality deep pressure therapy. So deep pressure therapy is known for the weighted blankets. Uh, you know, if you've seen all the past, they used to put kids in these kind of cow machines and wrap them in and bind them in. And, and so the idea was to downregulate that autonomic nervous system. So we were able to start to understand what we were doing. And we've subsequently gone on to do nurses. And we're right in the middle of firefighters. So that was the amazing turn of events. And in the interim, we were still rolling these units out. So I think we're about, we're still small numbers. I think we're about 290 units around the world now, which would probably equate if we had 15 sessions a week going in through in each unit to about 560,000 sessions are going on around the world right now, which considering we've been through a major pandemic, we think we've done pretty well as a small and we're a family business down in New Zealand. We're a small company. So, yeah, very exciting to get the testimonials. But I think for me, I think the incredible thing for me working, having worked in the fire service, having a husband that did 28 years in the police, was these guys coming to me and going, Desiree, I can get down on the floor again with my kids and play with them and I'm not stressed. You know, I can sleep again. I'm turning up to jobs and I'm not reacting like I used to I can stand back and see it for what it is I think that's the game changer for me that was like heartfelt for us to hear those responses that we were changing the lives not just in oh I can get a bit of night's sleep but I'm actually changing even from a cognitive response of how I manage my day-to-day psyche as well was interesting. Firstly, I remember swaddling my son when he was an infant and the kind of calm that that would create if he wasn't hungry or hadn't shit his pants. Um, <laughs> but then I've had guests on that yeah. have, have used the same therapy in the water. There's uh, a guy, a couple of um, marine raiders, and they have an organization called Deep End Fitness, and it's a lot of the training, you know, carrying the weights along the, the floor of the pool, and they have an underwater torpedo league, which is like they throw this little torpedo thing, but the whole game is underwater. But they were talking about out um that gives them calm because you've got the water you've got the temperature but you've also got the pressure pushing in so that makes a lot of sense i'm also reminded of the book uh, the body keeps the, st- the score you know the trauma that we have that's held in we talk a lot about mindfulness and breath work and i do all that stuff but there's 
you know, as I said, I've had one massage in my life. I know that's a huge deficiency for me. So being able to to be in something that would, because I know you have what heat, vibration, and you know, pressure as well, to stimulate the body to downregulate, that makes perfect sense to me from a physiological point of view, as well as the breath work and the mindfulness. Yes, and I think one of the greatest things that came out of all this that we didn't even think of was you're fully clothed. So you don't have to remove any clothing to go into this. And I think there is an element of safety to that. And also, you know, <laughs> I'll never forget one of the first um, guys that I put in and from the police, and, and he was an AOS, and he goes, I'm not into this sort of stuff. And I went, what do you mean? He goes, I don't do massage. And I went, well, it's not massage. Do you play sport? And he goes, I'm a golf player. I said, well, what if I could improve your golf? What if this somehow improved that? Would you be interested? He goes, yeah. And I went, well, we have sports people that use this and they swear that it's improving their performance. So get in there and tell me what you think. He was a young guy. He was only in his late 20s. And he comes out and honestly, he looked like this teddy bear, this lushy teddy bear going to me. Okay, so when's my next one? Like it was just <laughs> that. I think, you know, James, I think we forget what, what regulated is i think when we've been under and you know i've got a talk to do in 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 march in anaheim in california for the um occupational safety and wellness conference for law enforcement and it's about this and i think what it is is that what we forget with the autonomic nervous system because it's autonomic when we come under stress normally we re-regulate but when we kind of under a bit more then the body's sort of struggling a little bit then we come under a bit more and we keep creating this gap between what's normal regulation to what we adapt to regulation. And we saw that over and over again. I have got case after case after case of heart rate variability information of law enforcement in New Zealand more stressed lying down than they were standing up. And this is the concern is you don't, you forget. And so when we put them in and give them this control or delete and we bring them back, they're like, oh, my God, this is what it's like to be relaxed. This is what it's like to be calm. Now, if you go back into the same environment and over and over again, you're going to end up back there. It's not a magic fix, but it's getting the opportunity to go, oh, this is where I, I have to be. And what the incredible thing was through the research is we started seeing change. These guys or females will go away and drink less coffee. Then they'd start to learn some breathing or yoga, or then they'd start to do mindfulness or meditation because all of a sudden they had a, a, a relatable platform to measure to because i think when people say we need you to meditate well what what does that look like how does that feel and if we can't give them an example it can be quite hard to then get to because there is no relationship between the two and i think a lot of men when they go in the flow preso find that they i'll tell you they're awake but they're snoring away and but they have this mental clarity and we did ECG uh, EEG testing sorry and we found that you actually go into beta theta so we know that you go into this meditative state so it's like and I've done it myself I've been lying there clarity like you wouldn't believe getting real understanding of what to do in my life and then I'll hear myself snort because I'm snoring <laughs> and it's that ability to be in that and just to take away all those environmental stresses so we put headphones on with some background music just so you're not listening to external noise we cover your eyes if you don't get uh, you know anxious because the idea is to try and just take away any stimuli 
and you're literally wrapped up, loved and hugged. People come out going, not so much here, you know, police officers and firefighters will say this, but the average community will come out and go, I feel like I've been hugged all over. And right now, who doesn't need a hug? Absolutely. Well, you have an unusual lens. I mean, you worked with, in the fire service early on. You're married to a police officer. And now you've worked with uh, police officers, nurses, and firefighters. What are some of the commonalities? Well, a thing that I talk about a lot on here, so I won't kind of you know beat the horse to death, but we're becoming acutely aware of the stress in our positions, of the horrendous effects of shift work on the human body. But through your lens, with all these people walking through your doors, what are some of the commonalities you're seeing of the men and women in these professions? They're exhausted. That's the first thing. And deeply exhausted. You know, our, we're short-staffed um, here in New Zealand, uh, both nurses, police and fire. They're covering extra shifts. They're trying to turn up and be that, you know, that saviour when they're trying to deal with their own stuff at home as well, let alone the exhaustion of no sleep, let alone dealing with the community the way it is at the moment. I mean, I, I honestly, I, from, I don't take my hat off because I don't know how they do what they do. Their heart rate variability is, is not good. We know sleep, lack of sleep is a carcinogenic. We know in the police, it's one of the highest things is, is blood pressure and heart attack. We know that cancer is the next thing down. We know all this information. We know it. The research is there. It's not hard to find. Just Google stress, anxiety, and law enforcement in the US, and you'll get media talking about it now. So it's not, I find it, it's quite hard, but we are finding the difference. So please, if we, if we put someone through three sessions, what happens sometimes is if you've had this dysregulation for a long time, you'll try to go to re-regulate the body wall. So the next 24 hours, you can feel like you've been hit by a Mack truck. You can feel absolutely, utterly exhausted. You can kind of get a little bit of a cold because you're detoxing. It's like the body's trying to drain. Uh, you can feel like you don't even know where to put your next foot. You can't think properly because your body's going, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I need to stop. And when you stop, your body goes, oh, hell, here we go. I'm actually down here. I'm not doing as good as I thought. And so then the body will try to re-regulate. Now, if I compare that to the three different types of um, first responders, what we've found so far is that in our group of police, so we have done hundreds now, so we can easily sort of assess to this, but I would say on average every 30, maybe 25, 30, I, I'm sure it will be different in the United States because of the extreme stress they're under because they're dealing with a lot more you know, suicides, a lot more killings, those kind of things, you know, that, that's probably heightened to a significant degree. But in New Zealand, we were seeing on average between about about 1 in 30, 1 in 40 would have one of these quite significant reactions. Nurses, we saw about 50%. Firefighters, 1 in 3. Because the, the ones here are doing double shifts. They're short-staffed. They're... You know, they're just constantly, they've had to take the, on the purple alarm, which is now turning up to uh, incidents, heart attacks or suicides. They're often first to the scene, which they weren't originally trained for. They're dealing, you know, the emotional stress of that is taken another level. So, yeah, that's what we're seeing here. And, you know, and that affects cognitive response. So how you manage when you turn up to the scene. So we wonder why, you know, they're 
they're getting angrier or more anxious or more stressed. You know, when you, if, if someone's listening to this right now and has not been in this role, if you think about it, if you had to turn up every day to your job where you are dealing with a very heightened stressed incident, not once, but 10 to 20 times a day, you're dealing with people that spit on you, talk to you in a way with such disrespect, and are really your life is in danger on a regular basis. Tell me how you'd feel after two months of doing that as a job. You know, like you can tell the, the cost to this. And this is why it's not a long-term job, right? A lot of people get out early because they know it's killing them. And it comes back to all those aspects. And I think, and I hope my 2023 wish for this year is that, you know, universally we start to recognise the extreme stress that we put on first responders and therefore wrap them up and love them and hug them. And I'm not talking about flow preso. I'm talking about putting services wrapped around them that are more uh, more well set for what they're are incurring like the body keeps the score that's a great book to actually read and understand the different elements to what occurs you know that's what i'd like to see beautiful well i want to hit one topic before we go to some closing questions so i can let you go you touched on christchurch that was you know one of the most horrendous things that's happened in modern new zealand history Talk to me about that event through your eyes as far as, you know, a member of the community, but also if you have any perspectives from the first responders perspective as well. Well, my husband was involved in that. He was called down to there. So because we're up in the North Island, so we felt tremors, but we certainly didn't experience it. And he was uh, doing night shift and it was a ghost town because everyone was evacuated. And he said, you know, when, and I can imagine it would be similar to 9-11. I remember I walked past that building and had the same feeling. There was a real eeriness around where we had lost so many. And he said, but the the bit that was the worst was walking past like cafes or meat shops where they'd been evacuated and everything was still there rotting and putrefying. And he said it was just the most... uh it's on one level serene, but on another level so you know chaotic and and extreme to be in part of because you know you were and of course you never knew when the next tremor. My sister was a branch manager for one of the big businesses down there, and when they were finally allowed to go back in the building, they had to go in with hard hats on. They had to go in with engineers. They had it was quite you know big to be able to go in and say yes, I want to keep take all this and put this somewhere else because they had they weren't allowed to actually remove it themselves they had to have specialized teams to come in and remove like the filing cabinets all that sort of stuff and and then of course the tremors my girlfriend told me of a story that uh she was walking at the time and a tree literally fell down and then came back up again and she said and the worst part was I caught up with my two girlfriends in Christchurch last year so you got to remember we had that and then a few years later we had the mosque killing. One of them was sitting with me in a booth and we were backed onto a wall that must have had a door behind it. Every time that door slammed, she jolted. That's the cost to what that did. And then the other one, she was working for the DHB, so the health board. Both times her kids were in school. Both times she couldn't leave. Both times, she didn't even know which kid to go to first because they were in different schools when she could get out. 
So, you know, there was just so many things that went on to impact. And there, so then, and then we threw in the, the, the pandemic on them and on top of everything else. So Christchurch is in big trouble. Christchurch has a significantly high rate of anxiety going on down there now, like catastrophic health conditions because of that war zone, pretty much. Well, again, thank you for your perspective. I mean, this is this is the thing. Just COVID alone, the unseen ripple effect from you know domestic abuse through to addiction and all these other things. But then you have these events that happen pre and, and during and, and recently as well that are just compounding them even more. And if you look at it, and they were already a, a you know a social worker, a firefighter, a you know, mortician, then you've just created this perfect storm of physiological and mental stress. Yeah. I mean, as I say, their job was already stressful, but now they're dealing with the stresses of all these things that have gone on as well, which has heightened the community's stress. So when you think about it, you know, they're they're managing a very unique environment right now, and we're putting a lot of pressure on them to be good at it when, you know, they've also got to go home to their families who are dealing with their stress and their kids are, you know, the increased suicide attempts here in New Zealand on our children has just been horrific. You know, if you're dealing with that every day when you go home and you're worried about your own family and your own kids and then you've got to go out and deal with those stresses in the community, they deserve more help is all I can say. Absolutely. Well, I agree 100%. So people listening, where can they find more information or even look into purchasing Flowspresso? So Flopresso is a um, available for clinics only. So Sorry, Flopresso, no, I've got coffee on my mind. <laughs> everyone says Flow Expresso. We're almost thinking about <laughs> changing it. You know, it's such a cool thing. I, hey, I don't mind. Coffee's great as long as you're not drinking too much. Uh, so it is a not an over-the-counter product. It's a uh, product that, you know, we need a technician, health professional overseeing because a lot can happen. You can have you know, uh, side effects from, be from detoxification through to trauma release. It can empower you to let go of emotion. So you just want to know that they're getting that support behind you. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, uh, you know, you can go onto our website, which is obviously www.flow, F-L-O-W, Prezzo, meaning for pressure, P-R-E-S-S-O, .co, and you say .nz, we say N-Z. Uh, and you can learn all about us on there. We can, we've got a try site that you can go and, you know, link up to, and then people can go and we will find you your local area. Uh, I'm certainly having some really interesting, I'm up in Indiana. I go to Washington DC in March and then I'm down to, well, I'm first in the, um, the OSW conference in Anaheim and California speaking and then we head to Virginia and Washington DC and I'm in mid-March we're doing some demonstrations down there I'm so I'm trying to work my way through the first responders and see if I can create some miracle where we can make this available to staff so we're definitely working on that so yeah so that's where you could go and learn if there's someone in your local area that we can align you with or if you're a practitioner get in touch beautiful thank you well the first of the closing questions is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend it can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated i love that book breathe from james is it nester i think so yeah uh i think it's a really good reminder of how our health can change if we're not breathing correctly and it's it's just it's you know it's it's relatively in layman's terms 
the body keeps the score is is really good but that's pretty intense right for some people to read uh but it is if you're in you know if you're especially if you're a first responder i think it helps you understand why 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 you feel the way you do and why it's really hard to control those reactions or why it's hard to to break that cycle of that repetitive process that's going in the mind especially if there's ptsd those are kind of my two favorites i mean you know i I also love, um, you know, the things like, you know, if you want to look at the emotional connection to the physical, there's Louise Hay. Uh, there's also uh, Annette Noon tool. She does a book. Uh, the um, the body is a barometer of the soul, I think it's called. You know, they're really good if you're going, okay, so I keep getting this issue all the time. Is there an emotional relationship to it? And then it triggers you to think about that. Is that actually a reality? Those kind of things are my favorites. Brilliant. All right. What about a, a film and or a documentary that you love? Oh, I'm terrible. I'm into all the like things like the SWAT, you know, and all the um, I'm into anything that's intriguing, you know, that involves first, you know, police officers and um, investigation and all the rest. Um, yeah, I don't I must I like to sit there and see if I can sort it out between me and my husband. We see if we can sort out that, you know, as I he told me once he was in a court and uh he said oh um that he was giving evidence on something and I never forget he turned around and said, Yeah, and unlike CSI the movie, I can't I couldn't solve this within an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny as well because the CSI officers or agents or whatever they call them, you know, they're out with with guns and they're diving and jumping out of helicopters the ones that i've seen show up in a suit and start looking for prints and, yeah. and blood samples without yeah. uv light so it doesn't seem to yeah, be quite it's the same in new zealand <laughs> <laughs> there's probably a lot of people that went into that profession like wait what what am i supposed to be doing where's the gun <laughs> all right well the next question is there a person that you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders military and associated professions of the world It's a tough one for me. Uh, I'd have to, yeah, I, I, you know, there's a, there's a district commander that's retired here in New Zealand called Andy McGregor. And he is the reason Flo Prezzo was put into because he understood the need to support his staff. He was a really good man. He really understood the, the need for that care. And I think that's quite unique. And he was, he used to tell me, oh, everyone else is risk adverse, you know, like we just need to get in and do this. And he did the most amazing talk for me, for me, because I was presenting at the embassy in Washington. And he ended it with, you know, you can look at all the research we've done, but what mattered most is we showed we cared. And I think having management that actually can portray that, but also, acknowledge that you know the staff are doing above and beyond i think there's that i don't know whether you'd get on but i can certainly ask yeah yeah absolutely he changed he he really gave me uh, yeah i just think he's a unique model at the moment with the way the world's been and being able to see that so early on in the piece and put that service in and it could have been any service it's just that he saw the need and wanted to give his staff the help. I think that was the key for me. 
Beautiful. Yeah, I think if anything, COVID showed us what a leadership void we actually have. You know, I mean, we there were some amazing countries and leaders and I would argue even in Florida here, he may not be perfect. I can tell you that there's some things he's done that I don't like. But Governor DeSantis, the way he handled it, we shut down like everyone else, but then he slowly started opening the tap. Okay, doesn't seem to be getting much worse gyms you can open, restaurants you can open, and we slowly opened up again. So from that, and actually from Responder Health, I think he's been very uh, supportive of that as well. But so many, I think, that we had at the helm when this happened, they we realized that they should never have been there in the first place. So I think it's the leaders, the real leaders of the world that we do need to hear about. So I think he'd be a great one. Yeah, I agree, totally. Brilliant. All right. Well, then the last question before we make sure where else to find you, what do you do to decompress? As I said, gardening, love my gardening. I won't lie. I'm in Flopreso every week to ensure I regulate that autonomic nervous system, though I've achieved three weeks now. It's not looking pretty, but I'm trying to not live by it. Uh, and I love, like, we've got a, a dog, so I always think there's a real thing with animals and, you know, they get you out walking. I, look, I have my moments too. And I only had one a couple of days ago. But what I do do when I have a moment is I go there. So it involved me getting in the bath because I always find water is relaxing and soothing. Had a good cry. And it's just because you get to the point where it's an overwhelm. There's so much going on. There's so much change. And mine is more that is, you know, from a business perspective, especially, you know, you're just dealing with so many different things. And sometimes it just puts you in overwhelm. So what I've found is being able to have the ability to go there and really feel it, like just feel the overwhelm, feel that. I mean, my staff laugh at me because I'll, you know, I'll be, I'll leave the, the office all stressed and looking like something. The next night turn up completely different. It's because I face it there and then. I go there, there and then, rather than bottle it down and hold it down. Cause I used to do that in the past. And that cost me my health. You know, I had to rebuild. So for me, it's about just go there, throw your toys out of the cot, have a moment. Just don't yell or scream or turn on anyone else, but just have the moment because when we process emotion. It moves it on. And then you wake up the next day and you feel like you can make choice again because you kind of got rid of the the stuff that was dragging you down. And so that's what I do. If I'm honest, I, you know, I face it. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, but, you know, I still, my gardening, I still believe getting out in that earth every day or every second day is the is my little gem that I find for me personally has been a game changer. Brilliant. Well, thank you. So the very last question, you talked about the Flopresso website. Um, are there any places <laughs> online or social media that we can contact you specifically or, or follow you? So uh, we are working on that because there's been a demand and ask. But uh, if you go onto our flopresso.nz NZ, Instagram, you can send a message and that'll come. The team will bring it straight to me. So that's a way to get hold of me. Um, otherwise, I have an email address and that's Desiree and I'm going to put it lovingly, desire with an E on the end <laughs> at flowpreso.co.nz. So that's how you can get hold of me. Pretty basic, uh, simple way to do it. We're not big in New Zealand about being big flashy and, you know, it's, you know, you, you can easily get to me if you want to. You just got to put my name and it's so unusual. <laughs> 
Brilliant. Well, I just want to say thank you so much. It's been such an amazing conversation from, you know, your sister's incredible journey to, to health from her diagnosis to, you know, the perspectives from New Zealand and some of the tragedies and the, the pandemic that you had, but also the world of lymphatics that I was very uneducated on. So I want to thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. Thanks, James. And thanks for the opportunity and uh, just wishing everyone good health and yeah, let's work on this year being present and in the moment and, and connect to the wider world.